morning, we're going to continue on in our summer playlist. And, and as I've been sharing um, su- the Sundays that I'm here, we, uh, uh, we've been talking about the book of Daniel and some of the stories that are so familiar and, and well-known. And this morning, we're going to talk about another really familiar story, but it's not out of the book of Daniel. But it's, a, it's another story that you're all very familiar with. You've heard it hundreds of times. It's the story of David and Goliath. And apparently David and Goliath, you probably all, uh, most of you guys have probably heard that story, a uh, little bit familiar with it. And, uh, and David and Goliath is such a popular story that according to Mark Twain, the only two Bible characters that Huck Finn even knew about were uh, David and Goliath. So apparently David and Goliath is a very famous story. But typically, like so many of those Old Testament stories, we've kind of relegated it to a a children's story. And when we do that, we kind of miss the point and miss the power of why it's there, why God placed that story in that place for us and why it's there for us today. And that's what we we wanna look at this morning. Uh, You know, one of the things that we learn when we study the Old Testament is that all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Uh, And so if we really want to understand the story and we really want to understand the Old Testament, one of the questions that we have to ask as we study is, what does this teach me about Jesus? Well, how does this story point uh, to Christ? And then we can ask ourselves the question, what does this story mean for me? What does it have to do with me? Because you see, if we get those two things mixed up, if we begin looking at the story for what does it mean for me, then it really is about us and we get it confused and and it becomes a great children's story. It becomes a great underdog story, the David and Goliath stories in our world, you know, and we're all familiar with Rudy who played football at Notre Dame and he shouldn't have made it. He was too little, too slow, all of those things. And, uh, or we think, you know, my favorite underdog story, Rocky, you know, who really in real life could have never beat that guy, but he did in a movie, it was great. Um, but we have those little David and Goliath stories and, and we think we can all be the little train that can't, could, you know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, and, and we want our own David and Goliath story. We miss the point of why God put it in there and that's what we want to look at this morning. What is, what is God telling us? through the story of, of David and Goliath. You can see, because here's how the story goes. It, it, begins with, um, it begins with two armies. The armies of the Philistines on one hill and the army of Israel on another hill. Now, we have a map for you this morning to kind of help out. And, and so you see the Great Sea. That's actually, today, that's called the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, then you have the kind of the greenish, whatever that is, teal down there, and you can you barely see uh, the P is missing, but you can see that's the land of the Philistines. Uh, and then <clears throat> next up is Israel, and there's a circle uh, that kind of gives a little bit in the land of the Philistines and a little bit in Israel, and that's where the battle was to be fought. Uh, the battle was to be fought in an, a valley called the Valley of Elah. And there was hills on each on all the sides, and the battle was going to be fought um, in in the valley. And so you have these armies. You've got the army of the Philistines now. You see if you can read really well. If you've got really good eyes, you can see Gaza up there. That's where the Gaza Strip is. And today, that little section of land is is called Palestine. And Palestine simply means the land of the Philistines. And so you've got Palestine, you've got Israel, you've got the Mediterranean Sea, but back in the days of David, that was the Philistines and Israel and the Great Sea. 
and they were always at, uh, at war with each other. There was always battles. You read through the Old Testament, one of the great nemesis of Israel were the Philistines. Well, the battle is going to take place. I have a p- place. I have a picture here of the, an old grainy picture of the Valley of uh, Elah, and it's right there. You can see the hills, and in that valley is where the battle is going to be fought. So you've got the Israelites on one side, you've got the Philistines on the other side, and they're prepared to do battle, but nothing is happening. Because every day, uh, at the beginning of the day, uh, one warrior comes, the champion of the Philistines comes, and he challenges the whole army of Israel. And he says, I'm the champion for the Philistines. You send your champion to fight me and winner take all. We fight. If I win, you become our slaves. If, if you win, then we become your slaves. And let's settle it mano y mano, one on one, winner take all. The only problem really is that Goliath, a big guy, he's huge. Uh, the Old Testament talks about it in terms of cubits, but a cubit is about 18 inches. So if you want to get a little perspective and you do the math, he's probably somewhere between 9'6 and, and 9 feet 9 inches tall. He's, he's a giant. His armor that he puts over him weighs about 120 pounds. His spear, the head of his spear, the the metal part of his spear weighs around 20 pounds, and he carries that and, and uses that as a weapon. So he is this massive man, this seasoned warrior. He's got the whole army of Israel cowering behind, their hill, behind the hill, and, and, all, and that's the scene that we have, that scene that we have for David and Goliath. And, and so we know that David, in, in 1 Samuel 16, was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And I love, I love what happens because he's anointed to be the next king of Israel and you'd think that everybody, wow, David's like the next king. That's, let's set him up in a better place. Let's make sure he has the right food. Let's make sure he has some servants. Let's make sure David's taken care of. What his dad did was after he's anointed to be the next king, his dad sends him back to the sheep. And he is back feeding the sheep. He's back watching the sheep again. His dad's saying, you know what? Someday, maybe that's what you're going to be. But right now, you're still my youngest son, and you're going back to the sheep. So we here we have this shepherd boy, and we have the great giant. Now, to give you a little perspective this morning, I, I wanted to, um, we invited a, a special guest to come and, and join us. We actually asked Goliath if he would come. And uh, so you could get a little perspective. Okay, I think I hear him. There he is. <laughs> Goliath. Historians will say that that Dwayne Johnson, aka the Rock, looks eerily similar to the Old Testament Goliath. I don't know. I don't see it, but um, but but maybe you do. But let me give you a little perspective because I'm going to walk each side of the stage and and. Um, you get a, an idea of maybe how big, you know, this guy is. Uh, or, and I'll go over here for you guys and let you just see how big Goliath really is. And David's a kid. He's a shepherd. But on this day, his dad says, hey, I've packed some food and I want you to take it to your brothers who are in the army. His three older brothers were in the army of Israel. David has this food. He takes it there. 
when he gets to the army of Israel, he sees their hiding. He sees that they're absolutely afraid. No one will face this great giant Goliath. No one has the courage to go out and do battle with him. So the Israels are all hiding. They're humiliated. Uh, they're afraid. They don't know what to do. And David shows up at this moment and he's looking around. He says, what's the problem? What's going on? Well, there's this giant. He comes out every day and he scares us. And, and he challenges us to a, a battle. And David's actually there and, and Goliath shows up and, and he says, well, what is this? Who is he next to the God of Israel? I'll fight him. You know, David's brother, Eliab, he's a classic oldest brother. He just says, shut up. <laughs> he gets angry at him. He says, you're just the baby of the family. Would you don't be annoying? Go back to your room. Go back to your sheep. Eliab is angry at David, thinking he's going to just, he's going to be annoying. He's going to get in the way. Classic family structure, right? And and David is there saying, wait, I'll do that. Somebody overhears him. They take him in front of Saul. And David tells Saul, I want to fight this Philistine in the name of the Lord, for God's sake, for the Lord's sake. And so here's where we pick up the story. In 1 Samuel 17, beginning at verse 31, it says, And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are but a youth, and he, is, uh, he has been a man of war from his youth. <laughs> David says, I'll go fight this guy. And Saul says, you're crazy. You're a kid. You have, you're not prepared. You're not experienced. You don't have the right armor. You don't have the right weapons. And Saul says, no, I, or David says, no, I will go. I'll go fight him. Here's what it says in verse four. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when uh, there came a lion or a bear uh, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it from his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant was, has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And then here's what David says. He said, and David said, the Lord uh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, go and, may, and the Lord be with you. So here's what Saul said. He said, you're not equipped. You don't have the right armor. You don't have the right experience. You're not strong enough. You're not big enough. You don't have anything that, that tells me that you could actually defeat this Philistine. And there's a lot at stake. The whole nation of Israel is at stake. And David says this, let me just tell you what's happened in my life, that as I've tended the sheep, that I've fought lions and I've fought bears and I've conquered them because of the power of the Lord. He says it this way. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David's saying that I've been building on these experiences that I've had. And I know from experience that God has been faithful. And I have been in moments where my life is on the line, where my life is at risk, and God has delivered me, and he's been faithful, and he won't stop being faithful. He'll continue to be faithful, and God will deliver me here. He'll deliver me in this. Because God is faithful. David remembered all of the things that God had done. He remembered God's faithfulness. And it was based on those memories that he believed, he trusted that God would do the same for him again. 
And, and you see, we all have those moments. And we talked about it earlier that, that sometimes our memories are, are a little bit more like, uh, what have you done for me lately, Lord? But if we stop and we remind ourselves, if we stop and remember how faithful God has been in our lives and all of the things that he's done, the very fact that we're here today is a tribute to God's faithfulness. Then we build on that faithfulness because we know that God will continue to be faithful. That's his nature. That's who he is. And we go and face our giants not on our strength, not on our power, not on our armor, our equipment, because, but through the faithfulness of God and what he's done in our lives. And so Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. <laughs> That's Hebrew for good luck. First Samuel 30, um, 17, 38 says this, and Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped the sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go. Uh, for, um, he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, "I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them." So David put them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch, and his sling was in his hand as he approached uh, the Philistine. And, and so we have a bit more of the picture that Saul said, "Okay, at least put my armor on." At least try on my equipment. It's a king's equipment. It's a king's armor. It's big. It's heavy. It's sturdy. Uh, it, it's been in lots of battles, and David puts it on, but the armor doesn't fit him right. It's not his armor. It doesn't belong to him. Saul is thinking that it's about the armor. Saul is thinking it's about having the right equipment, and David says that's not how this battle is going to be won. That's not how this battle is going to be fought, and if we buy into the myth that power comes from having the right equipment, that power comes from having the right armor, that power comes from being the strongest and the biggest and the smartest, then we're going to lose the real battle in our lives because it isn't going to be won that way. And so David took off that armor and he grabbed his sling and five smooth stones and he went after the giant. Now I do want to have a qualifier here because the sling was a legitimate weapon in those days. Those aren't the little slingshots that, that you grew up with, but this was a strap of leather and you would put a, a rock in it and, and the Romans actually used these for weapons as well. That if you were an expert at throwing a, a sling that you could propel uh, a rock up to 60 miles an hour so if you're at the right spot and hit somebody in the right place, it's, it is definitely going to do some damage. And David took his sling. That's what he knew. That was his weapon. That's what he trusted. And he went out to face the giant. He went out to face Goliath. Verse 41 says this, And the Philistine moved uh, forward and came near David with uh, his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He was incensed. He, he, he hated him immediately because they're trying to embarrass me. They're sending somebody out with no armor. They're sending somebody out with no sword. They're sending this youth, this kid out here to fight me. I'm Goliath. I'm the champion of the Philistines. How dare they do that? And so he looked with contempt at David. And he said, for David, for he was a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance, and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, by, by Goliath's gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. 
Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me, listen to this, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. That's what David tells him. That this isn't a battle about who has the best armor. This isn't about having the best sword. But this is about the fact that God will deliver us. That the Lord of hosts will deliver us. This is his battle. You see, we think the battle is ours sometimes. We think the battle is about us. But what we're being reminded here is that it's the Lord that goes before us. It's his battle. He prepares us. He wins the victory for us. The question is, do we trust him or do we trust ourselves? Are we going to trust in our own ability? Are we going to trust in our own armor? Are we going to trust the Lord? And David trusted the Lord because he had seen his faithfulness. And now David goes out with reckless boldness. I mean, seriously, he's standing looking at this guy. He knows that just by pure physical attributes, he does not have a chance. He is done if he thinks he can beat Goliath. But David never says that. He says, the victory is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And today, he will give us victory. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Verse 48 says, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. They lost hope. Suddenly they were afraid. They thought they had the biggest, the most fierce, the greatest warrior. They had the champion But when God's person came, they realized, we don't have a chance. Who can stand against the Lord of hosts? Who can stand against the armies of the Lord? Who can stand against the one who created the very universe, the very ground that they stand on, the very air that they breathe? Who can stand against him? David understood that. But Goliath had to learn the hard way. Later in David's life, he's going to say this in Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Awesome. Who do you trust in this morning? Do you you trust in your armor? Do you trust in your sword? Do you trust in your strength, your intelligence, your resources? Or is your trust built on who the Lord is? Do you trust in the name of the Lord God Almighty who created this earth, who sent his son to die on a cross, who rose again, who gave himself for us so that we could have eternal life? Who do you trust this morning? That's the great question. You see, we, I talked about in the very beginning that one of the things about the Old Testament is it always points us toward Jesus. And, and see, the Philistines, they, 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 the Philistines, they thought that Goliath was their champion. 
And so the Israelites thought, well, we need a champion. Who's going to be our champion? And, and David said, it's not me. I'm not the champion. I'm going out there. I'm going to go forth. But the champion is the Lord of hosts. The champion is God. He's our champion. He fights the battle for us. It's him in whom we put our trust. Not me, but I go in the name of the Lord. And this idea, champion, literally means one who comes between. One who comes between. So you have this picture of, of the Valley of Elah, and you got the Israelites on one side and the Philistines on the other side. And in walks Goliath to be the champion for the Philistines. What he doesn't know is that God is going to be the champion of the Israelites. God is going to stand for his people. And the God who stood for his people in the Valley of Elah is the God who stands for us today, who continues to be faithful today whatever the giants that we face in our lives, whatever the struggles that we face in our lives, whatever the pain is that we face in our lives, he stands for us today. He is faithful. And it's his battle. It's for his glory. I mentioned that there's some lessons that we learn. You know, we talk about what, what, how do we see Jesus in this. Jesus is not only our champion, but he is our substitute that God said, I'm sending my son, that he is going to come, he is going to take your place, he's going to fight that battle, and in that battle, Jesus is going to win our life, our eternal life, our salvation. He's gonna win that through the cross and through the resurrection. Jesus is not only our champion, but he's our substitute. But there are three other lessons that we learn from this story of David. The first one is this, that David said that the whole earth would know that there is a God in Israel, that the whole earth would know that there's a God in Israel, the true God, the great and powerful God. And, and here's what David is saying, that David is saying that this isn't about a person, this isn't about me being a champion, but this is so that the world will see what has happened and they will know that God is real, that this is the true God, that he's a God that we can put our lives to. This is a God we can put our faith in. Uh, th this is a God who is faithful to his people, that we can trust him, we can stake our lives on it, and the world will see because of this, who God really is. Who's the true God? And that's so much better than David showing up with the best equipment. Now, that's so much better than David showing up, you know, with a howitzer or a machine gun or, or you know, any, some kind of weapon like that and, and being the great victor and the most powerful because then we would just think it's about weapons. Then we just think it's about that kind of power. But what we see in this story is that the power comes from the Lord and he is the victor and the world will see that through God's faithfulness. And isn't that the goal? Isn't that one of the great goals that the world will see who Christ is through our lives, through our circumstances? The second thing that he says is that Israel will know that this battle was won by God's power and not by the might of the army. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that the whole world will see this and they'll know that God is faithful, but also we'll see it. And we'll be reminded of God's faithfulness and we'll be reminded of God's power and we'll be remembered of God's provision in our lives and our lives will be stronger, our lives will be more powerful, our lives will be more meaningful because they'll be built on God's faithfulness and his power and how God wins those battles in our lives. What he does, not so much what we do. What we can do is go out in boldness because God is faithful. And that's the good news for us. Here's the third thing. 
that the two assembled armies would know that the Lord does not save by a sword or spear, that those armies on either hill would know that this battle wasn't won by who had the best equipment, who had the best weapons, who had the best armor, but it was won by the power of God. It was won by the faithfulness of God. So what do we do with this this morning? How do we apply this incredible story of David and Goliath in our lives? Because we know it's built not on David. Not, it's not a I think I can kind of story. It's not an underdog story. It's a story about the faithfulness and the power of the God of the universe, of the Lord that we serve, of the Lord that we follow. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about him. And so what do we do with this? We know what we learn about Jesus, that he's our champion, that he's our substitute. And then we know this, Hebrews 11 defines faith, and then it talks about all these faithful people throughout history. It gives us this whole list of people of faith. And then in the 12th chapter of Hebrews, it says, because of that, he says, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the first thing that we do, the, the ESV says looking upon Jesus, and I actually like the NIV version better, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, because uh, the idea of the language here, either one, is that it's a continual process in our lives. We don't just fix our eyes on Jesus once, and then it's all good, because our eyes tend to wander, don't they? Our eyes tend to go down. We, we look down. We get defeated. Our eyes tend to go up. Our eyes tend to go to, from side to side. We get our eyes off the prize. We get our eyes off of who God is, and so what, what we're learning here in Hebrews is that one of the ways that we fight this battle, one of the ways that we trust in God's power is by continually, constantly fixing our eyes on Jesus, that it's a decision that we make every day. It's part of how we practice spiritual disciplines. It's part of how we live and how we grow is by continually fixing our eyes on Jesus, remembering his faithfulness, remembering his power, and getting our focus back on him when it gets on us or it gets on our circumstances. We continually fix our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on him. So the very first thing this morning is, is maybe we just simply ask, what are my eyes been on? Have they been on my circumstances? Have they been on my problems? Have they been on my own abilities to try to solve things? Or, or have I fixed my eyes on Jesus? Am I continually fixing my eyes on Jesus? That's one thing that we can do. And then Ephesians 6 gives us a great reminder, gives us another picture of the battle. Ephesians 6, 10 says that, that, it says, therefore, stand strong in the strength of his might. Not in the strength of our might, but we stand in the strength of God's might and strength of God's power. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you might stand firm put on the whole armor of God that we don't, we don't equip ourselves with the kind of armor that we think, but, but we, he recognized the fact, in fact, he says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of this world, and if we live in a spiritual world and if we're fighting a spiritual battle, then we need to arm ourselves with spiritual weapons, and so Paul is saying, put on the full armor of God. Tell the Lord, I don't want to leave anything off. I don't want to be missing anything. I want everything that you have for me, so we're fixing our eyes on 
on Jesus, and then we're asking him to equip us for the battle. We're asking him to give us his armor, the armor that matters, the armor that wins, the ar armor that stands firm so that we might be standing when all the dust clears so that we might be found faithful to the Lord in his battle in our lives. So if you're looking for something that you can do this morning, it's continually fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's asking him to equip us with his armor. Be strong in the Lord, not in our own strength, but in him. And then put on the full armor of God. And when we do that, we move out in boldness. We move out in trust. Because we know that it's not built on us, it's not about us. But it's, about the, but it's about the God of the universe. It's about the creator of the universe. It's about the Lord of hosts. And some trust in chariots, some trust in spears and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you came to be our substitute that you are the champion. Lord, it's not about us, it's about you, it's about your faithfulness. And, and Lord, uh, we need to understand that this morning. We find ourselves in battles where we're way over our head. We need your faithfulness. We need your strength. We need to know that, Lord, you will be victorious. So Lord, our heart's desire is to trust on you, to trust in you this morning continually fix our eyes on you to know that the battle belongs to you and Lord that you would equip us with your armor the full armor of God that we might stand firm and Lord for that we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in Jesus name amen